You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Welcome to another episode of Doing It For The Exposure, the show that's so full of magic and wonder, it might just pop. I'm your host, Mannequin Blue, and today's special guest is award-winning balloon artist and magician, John Reed. Hello. Hello, how are you? I am fantastic, how are you? I am hanging in there. (laughs) (laughs) White-knuckled and screaming. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we're making the most of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) By any means necessary. It's the best we can do, right? Yeah. So, John, you are our, I think you're our first international guest, which is amazing because we're growing. Yay. Yes. You are um, growing like a fungus. <laughs> Just sticks to everything. Yes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? So, as you mentioned, I'm a magician and a balloon artist. I started doing magic when I was a little kid. And I was very introverted about it. I didn't show anyone until I got to college. And when I got to college, somebody said, hey, would you do a party for my nephew? And I went, no, I really don't. I don't do parties. And they were like, oh, it's only going to be eight kids. I was like, "Ah, I really don't do parties. And they were like, I'll give you $50. I was like, you want me to get a rabbit? I can buy a rabbit. You know, I was was in. And the first show was a disaster. But people kept hiring me. And I went back more and more and more. And I saw somebody making balloons and I picked that up because somebody said, well, the other guy would make balloons. What, we'll give you more money if you make balloons. And I got better at the balloons and I got better at the magic. And I realized that I was having more fun making more money than my parents partying on the weekends. So I should probably just keep doing this. And then it, and it snowballed. And here I am today making balloons and doing magic for a living. I put together a mission statement about six years ago to create 10 million smiles. So what better way than to not just perform magic and make balloons, but to also teach it. So that has become part of my passion project is to teach kids and young people and adults, but mostly young people, give them not just an artistic skill, but social skills with confidence and teach them how to have conversations with people and engage people and give them a tool. It's, you know, it's some people say it's a crutch to give, you know, to use a magic trick or making balloons to start a conversation, but it's a tool. And as long as you respect the tool and use the tool properly, you can create amazing things and incredible connections. Yeah, definitely. And just because you're one of the more, I suppose, intricate balloon artists that I've seen, because, you know, some people, they do magic and balloons and then they do the basics, but you don't mm-hmm. do that. So how did, yeah. how did you <laughs> expand that? So my granny, who is the most incredible person I've ever met, told me once when I was very young, she's like, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you collect cans or... I don't want to cuss, but she said, shovel stuff (laughs) for a living. She goes, whatever it is, if you collect cans, it should be the biggest pile of cans. If you're going to, you know, shovel garbage, you better do it more efficiently and effectively than anybody else. Whatever you do, be the best at it. And the joke is always, well, I wish she was more specific. She was probably hoping for a doctor or a lawyer, but I did. And I, I, every time I do anything in the back of my head, it's the question is, will this make Granny proud? Will she go, yeah, you're doing a good job. And having that sort of as the bar, because, you know, you set your own bar, that's one thing. If you have somebody else is the bar, it changes the dynamic. Now it's not just, I'm not settling when I get tired 
because I go, mm, let's do a little bit better. Let's go, let's go a little bit further for granny. That's awesome. Normally you hear people say, you know, I have to be better than everyone else, but it's really nice to hear you say, I have to be the best for my granny. <laughs> well, and, and really that's what it kind of comes down to is a friend of mine, Kennedy, he's actually a UK magician and mentalist. He said, I, I don't want to be better than anybody else. I just want to be less crap than I was yesterday. And that's really like, that's what it comes down to, but setting the bar for somebody else. I want to be less crap, not just for myself, but to make that person proud. That's, you know, that's helped me. And I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I'm just saying for me, it made it a lot harder for me to settle. Yeah. It kind of, you found something that worked for you and you ran with it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So how did you get into then all of the, the, the bigger, grander balloon sculptures? So I worked in a magic shop and, you know, I learned how to make a dog, a sword, a flower, and 137 animals that looked like a dog, a sword, or a flower. And one day this guy walks in and he made Daffy Duck out of balloons. And I thought, holy cow, this is incredible. And as he's having a conversation with the manager in the store, I'm like, oh, I'll sneak to my car. I'll get my balloons. I'll come back in and I'll, and I'll redesign what he just did. You know, I'll, I'll ask him to show me. And by the time I had gotten back in, because I went out the back door, he had left out the front and he was gone. So I went home and I tried to reverse engineer it. And after, you know, 150 balloons going through an entire bag, I had figured out how to make Daffy Duck. He came back maybe about a month or so later, bought another bag of balloons. And I said, hey, you changed my life. I'm making Daffy Duck now. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah. And I showed him and he goes, that's great. That's not at all what I did. Yours is actually a little bit more efficient. This is what I do. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then we traded a couple of designs. I showed him one that I had come up with. He showed me something that he had come up with. And that started the, the path because I would go to a party and I was doing, you know, my magic show. And at the end, as like a giveaway, I hate to say it was a giveaway, but it was like, it was a tag on. I started making these balloons and then people started asking for things that I didn't know how to make. And I remember a kid, his name was Trevor. And this is going back almost 20 years. He said, I want Bugs Bunny. I'm like, I don't know how to make Bugs Bunny. And he goes, why not? And I went, you know, you're right. I guess I've never tried. So I tried to make Bugs Bunny and it looked all right. And then I went home and I said, I'm going to keep going with that. Now it was a challenge. What would you like? The kid would say something. If I didn't know what it was, I would try to steer him towards something else. But if I did know what it was and I knew how, what it looked like, I would try to make it. And that became sort of part of the fun for me because it didn't matter if I nailed Bugs Bunny out of balloons. It was the only Bugs Bunny this kid had ever seen. So it was by default the best. And that feeling, because he didn't know what it was supposed to look like. So he was thrilled. And that's, that's sort of, that's fun for me. So every once in a while I'll put on Facebook, I'll say, I'm having a creative day. Does anybody have anything they want me to make? And people will come up with the most absurd things. And I try. And the responses I get, the feedback I get when people go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you actually did it one, like you tried, but two, that it's successful. And in my mind, I'm going, ugh, no, this thing came out terrible. Wait till I go around to it. It'll be much better. And that's sort of how I built on it. But that's always the way. Like I say this every time, you know, people do something amazing and everyone goes, oh my God, that's amazing. How did you do it? And they go, no, it's awful. It's terrible. I can do it so much better. Like you're always right. going to be your worst critic. Correct. And there's something good about that because it just makes us, you know, want to be better. But at the same time, it's just every once in a while, I see a piece that I'm very happy with. And I go, man, I kind of nailed it. And I remember when I was, I have a 
the world record. I made the world's largest balloon sculpture by a single person. It was a 50 foot tall robot. And I made it out in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the whole time I was doing it, I was so focused on, you know, finishing that I wasn't really enjoying the process. And I remember listening to Neil Gaiman talk about the best advice he had ever gotten that he didn't take. And it was from Stephen King. And he said, you know, this is really great what you're doing. You should enjoy it. And I remembered like hearing that statement and I went, I need to enjoy this. So for the last day, while everybody was taking pictures, I just kind of like, I sat back and I soaked it all in. I, I just went, man, I, I did a cool thing. And I, I didn't sit for too long enjoying it, but that moment of just being like, oh, I did this thing. I kind of nailed what I, I wanted to do. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let people tell me what they think. And I'm not going to pick myself apart. And yeah, I know there's things in there that could have been better, but no, it's, you know, it's a good feeling to know that when you get something right, to enjoy it. And as artists, I think a lot of us are way, way too critical. But every once in a while, when you go, all right, that's, that's a nine out of 10. I can sit back. I can recognize that that really rocks and enjoy the moment. Oh, I, I love that, Josie. Even when you're enjoying it, you're still a critic. You know, you're still like, well, it's a yeah. nine out of 10. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. And that's the thing. I mean, I think if you're a true artist, you never want to admit that it's a 10 out of 10. Even if, you know, even if everybody's like, this is the greatest thing ever, you go, yeah, wait till next time. You know, but when you get the nine out of 10, enjoy it. You can worry about the next time tomorrow. Right? <laughs> you know, enjoy, enjoy the finished product for what it is and realize that as long as, you know, tomorrow you try to be, as Kennedy says, a little less crap than you were yesterday or today, you're on the right track. Yeah, 100%. And just because you started out, you know, with the standard balloons, how did that translate then into sculptures that are so big? Well, I went to a balloon convention called Twist and Shout, and I had seen people doing these much larger sculptures. And I went, oh, man, that's great. I met a gentleman at the time. He was, I think he was like 13, Dustin Query. And this kid was next level at 13. He was winning competitions against adults, doing massive sculptures, and then like pretty much throwing them aside. He was like, nah, I'll figure something else out. And I'm like, you know what? We, we should get together. We should hang out. We should do something at some point. And at one point I was going to Gettysburg where he lives for a DeLorean convention, the car from Back to the Future. And I said, hey, I'm gonna be in your neck of the woods. What do you think about making a DeLorean, maybe like four feet, you know, like the Back to the Future one. He's like, actually, it's probably easier just to make it full-sized. And in my mind, I went, all right, kid, whatever you say. (laughs) So we spent, you know, 14 hours over the course of two days weaving and twisting and making a DeLorean from Back to the Future. And at the time, it was the largest sculpture that I had made. And I went, oh, this is, this goes beyond making dogs and swords for kids. It doesn't matter that it took 14 hours because people liked watching the process. And it occurred to me that doing these larger sculptures, there's a different type of engagement with the, what, what I would call the audience. It's not a one-on-one where I'm going to make you this thing, kid, and keep it. It's, it's akin to glass blowing or, you know, stone carving, where people are just as impressed and amazed by the process as they are with the finished product. So I thought, all right, well, now I want to do more of these big things. So I was volunteering to do whatever sculptures I could for whatever events I could the deal was though, I wanted it to be big. And a lot of places were like, yeah, sure kid, whatever you want. And one thing led to another and I started making, you know, full-sized people. And there was a gentleman out of the Boston area. He's the guy who ran Twisted and Shout with his wife, Patty, his name was Royal Sorrell. And he was known for doing these bigger sculptures, these larger than life sculptures. 
and I just started studying his work and using his, you know, bases for the type of sculpture he passed a few years ago. He had a very elegantly simple style where he wasn't worried about every minute detail. There was a good base and then he would put the details on top. And I sort of go with that with most of my sculptures. I make a good solid base and then the details, the, you know, the details really make it, I think. That's sort of been my design aesthetic, you know, going forward. And everybody, I, I make balloon dresses was a thing that kind of got me a little bit of notoriety. And there are so many artists out there, like the dresses that you do are incredible. And I always say that I'm like, I'm, I'm the, you know, the old Navy slash gap of balloon dresses. My dresses work, they're quickly made, they're efficient, they hopefully are flattering, but they're not terribly intricate or detailed. You know, I want them to be just as much function as fashion, and I want people to be comfortable wearing them, and I don't want to spend 40 hours making them. So, like I said, there's something elegantly simple about making a really nice base, adding a few details, and letting the work speak for itself, and letting the audience or the observer kind of fill in what they think about it and how they feel about it. I mean, I think that's the best part about art is what somebody else takes away from it. Yeah. And that was actually something that I wanted to touch on as well, just because mm -hmm. for anyone who follows, you know, my work outside of the show, they'll know that I, I'm kind of becoming known for these crazy balloon dresses, but probably they what so they cool. don't know <laughs> is that you're the one who taught me how to do that. Yeah, it was an accident. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I, I just mean, I think I, I very much have that mindset as well when building a dress is that build a strong, solid base and then, you know, add all the crazy stuff on top of that. So when you break my dresses down, you take off all the frills and the different colors and everything. It is, in essence, your process. Yeah, it was my process was an accident. I was not the first person to figure out making balloon dresses. In fact, there were lots more and there are people who are far better, but my goddaughter fell and split her lip open on the playground while I was visiting in Colorado. And she was so sad. And I was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta make a balloon that's gonna make this kid smile. Cause she goes, oh, I'm not pretty anymore. I'm never gonna smile again. I was like, you know, like, like heck you're not gonna smile kiddo. Not on my watch. So I quickly made this little dress out of balloons for her. And we were at a conference, it was a magic convention. And I told her mom, I'm like, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to go get her bathing suit, pop it on her. I made something to make her smile. So her mom went and got her, you know, got her dressed up to go to the pool and she thought she was going to the pool. And when she came in and saw the dress on the bed, she's like, oh, that's amazing. Why doesn't the person have a head or arms or legs? And I went, that's because it's your arms, head and legs. And she went, oh, I can wear it. Yeah. So she put her arms up and whoop, put it on her. And she walked around that convention for hours with a smile on her face that you couldn't take away with a sandblaster. And I thought, you know what? I not only got to watch this kid's demeanor totally change, there was not a person in that hotel that didn't start beaming and laughing and smiling as she walked by. And I went, all right, I'm probably going to have to learn how to do this for like real sized people. Cause you know, at the time she was four and you know, and again, once you make something like that, all of a sudden more people want to see more stuff like that. And if that doesn't keep you doing what you're doing, I don't know what will. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, 10 million smiles and, and I, I, I keep losing count, so I have to keep starting over, which I don't think is a bad thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. So 
just to kind of focus on the dresses a little bit more because I know you've got all sorts of cool stories, but you've made some for some somewhat famous people as well. Yeah, I have. I had made one for Amanda Palmer, the musician from the Dresden Dolls. She's also married to Neil Gaiman. He was there when I made it. It was a fluke. She was doing her Kickstarter, which she raised, I think it was like $1.2 million to create this new album and this, this concert tour and everything else. And I showed up at the, the block party that she was throwing in Brooklyn and I made a dress and they put it on her and then they popped it off of her. And that, again, it kind of snowballed. I made one at the White House when President Obama was in the office and I put one on my assistant at the time and she wore it. She was voted the best dressed attendee by the Associated Press pool. And, you know, Michelle and Barack Obama were floored by it. That was kind of cool. I've made, I've made dresses for, you know, I call them like regional celebrities, local celebrities in the New York area that nobody outside of New York would know. And ultimately outside of certain industries probably wouldn't know, but it's been a lot of fun. It definitely gets people talking about you, but it, I always ask the, the women after I put them in the dress, like, what was it like? How did it feel? Did you have fun? Their answers are always some variation of, it made me feel like when you're a little kid and you want to grow up and be a princess, it made me feel like that, which is kind of a neat sentiment because they are immediately taken back to a childhood mindset, but it's what they imagined as a kid and it kind of worked. So you can, you can have that nostalgic feeling, but sort of also spin high art into it, which is kind of, that's for me, that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm a sentimental guy. So when, when somebody says, oh, when I was a kid, immediately I'm like, I'm in. Okay, we've done, we've hit an emotional chord. And I think that's what art is, whether it's happiness, sadness, love, hate, you know, art is supposed to make you feel some form of emotion. And when you feel that kind of emotion, you know, again, that's a nine out of 10. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> I give it a perfect nine out of 10 score. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I can, I can 100% attest to that feeling of being in a balloon dress it's like the best feeling if a little bit hot and sticky and you know yeah. kind of awkward to move in but you're just having right. the best time <laughs> you're definitely not going to rob a bank quietly in, in a balloon dress you're squeaking and creaking and as you walk around but other than the noise it's very cool <laughs> it's like the best i recommend it to everyone everyone and especially people who make dresses they should have to wear them <laughs> Yeah, you know Marie, Marie Datto, custom balloon dresses. She has been on my case. She's like, I got to make you a balloon dress one day. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, one day I'll get in one. And, and if I do, it's going to be, you know, it'll probably have to be her. Yeah, I, th I think you definitely should because I do them for like photo shoots and stuff. Sure. I'm of this mentality of if I wouldn't do it, I can't ask someone else to do it. So I think you right. definitely have to do it. Yeah, I do. I know I do. And I'll get there. Tawny has also said she would make a dress for me, but we'll see. And I'm sure you would make a dress for me, uh, you know. Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it planned. <laughs> yeah, great. Please something that won't make me look too hippie. <laughs> you don't want like a nice bell bottom. No. <laughs> Big Victorian gown. <laughs> so just because I don't want to neglect... The magic side of things. I, mm -hmm. I, I tend to get too excited about balloons because that I know that and it's fun and it's amazing. But would you say you're 50-50 magic and balloons or would you be more? Yeah. 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 I, if I notice that one is getting too dominant in my career, I focus my energy on the other one. It's the only thing in my life I really try to balance. Right now, because of the pandemic, I am doing 
all magic classes online because it's significantly easier to market because I teach classes with things from around the house as well as kits that I can mail to the kids in advance. But getting balloons and pumps to people, it was a little bit harder in the beginning, whereas the magic stuff I had in-house. So I could just pop it in a box, ship it to the kids and be done. But I didn't have pumps and balloons and everything at the ready in the beginning of the pandemic. So right now I am focused a little bit more on magic, which is fine because right before the pandemic hit, I was focused a lot on my balloons. And I usually have these six month to one year swings where I focus on one thing and whatever comes in for the other, fine. And then I get a little burned out and then I swing the other way. And that has worked well for me. So right now I am probably 90% magic, 95% magic, and almost exclusively teaching at this point. I'm not really performing anything online. I'm, I'm teaching kids ages seven to 13, and it's been incredibly rewarding. I've been teaching magic now for a little over 20 years, and the program that I've got put together, I'm incredibly happy and incredibly proud with, and the response I'm getting from the parents is, it's a nine out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to have to put that on a t-shirt if you keep saying yeah, it. <laughs> I know. Well, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll wear it. <laughs> I'll go with my mannequin blue tote bag. <laughs> yeah, I really pushed those for a while, didn't I? <laughs> I, I you know what? It was a, it's a well-made bag. It's my favorite grocery shopping bag when I go to the local market to pick up produce. And, you know, I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I may have to do some more, but just because I'm getting more into the digital art, so I may have to actually design some myself and all of my friends will be broke. <laughs> it's good to circulate the money. It's good for the economy, I hear. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like, you know, I mean, any money that I make, I pump back into my <laughs> friends that are artists. So it's, it's just going to get to the point where we're just handing each other money constantly. Yeah. It's good that way. It has velocity then, they say. Yeah. <laughs> so... Because you're, you're a very mobile and tactile and hands-on kind of person. You're always going places and doing things. How have you found working digitally from home? In the beginning, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. About four years ago, I started doing Facebook Live videos when I was closing down my warehouse and my store. And I was doing these Facebook Live videos, selling stuff, giving people updates. And it was, it was fun. I, was, I don't want to say I was like the first person to do it, but I was one of the first people to be doing it fairly regularly. And I was getting a lot of people tuning in. And then everybody started doing it. I was getting diluted. So I stopped. I stopped for quite a while. And when the pandemic hit and I said, well, I guess I got to start doing Facebook Live videos again. And the platform had changed and then everybody was doing stuff live. I went, well, that's, that's not going to work. Again, I'm diluted. So I started doing these online Zoom classes and it was a huge, huge learning curve. I am not a tech savvy person. I think you know that better than anyone. People say, what kind of computer do you have? And I say silver because I truthfully, everybody's like, well, is it a Mac or a PC? And I'm like, well, it says Mac, so probably Mac, right? They go, well, yeah, but you know, what kind is it? And I say, silver. And they're like, well, no, is it an Air? Is it a MacBook Pro? And I say, it's silver. Like, you're not giving me the answers I'm asking for. Yes, but I'm giving you all the information that I know for certain. My MacBook is silver. That's it. So when this all came about, I had a really hard time struggling in the beginning. And my friends were getting, you know, external cameras and external microphones, and special lighting, and a backdrop. And I legit just put my laptop on a box, sat in front of my front window with the curtains closed for the backdrop, no mic, lights on. And I said, all right, every day I got to try and be a little less crap than I was the day before. So I found some lights and that helped. And then I learned how to, what level, what height the, the laptop should be on and how to work an external camera. And then realized that that was just a, it's a potential point of failure. So when I do Zoom, everything is on my laptop, no mic, 
you know, the lights are set once and that's it. I have an actual backdrop. I don't use a virtual backdrop. I tried to keep it simple so that I could focus on the presentation and engaging with the people. And it was hard, but I want to say I'm getting better at it. I'm definitely not a nine out of 10, but every day I get a little bit better. I get more comfortable with the technology. I get more comfortable with learning how to engage with people, learning how to work with the parameters of it's a camera, not an audience on the left and right. And not being able to convey as much with body language as I used to be able to, I'm learning how to do it in much more subtle ways, which is good. You know, I mean, I think no matter what happens, online entertainment and online learning, now it's forever. There are going to be people who are going to want to do this forever just because it's opened so many doors. Like I've been teaching kids that live in other states that could never have learned from me before. And truthfully, they could have never learned from anybody before because they live in a little podunk town that doesn't have a magician within five or 600 miles. This has given them an opportunity. And my plan is to keep doing online teaching, regardless of whether or not I'm on the move. My one website, my personal blog is the mustache on the move. And I am currently not nearly as on the move, but I wanted to keep my text simple so that even when I'm on the move, I can set up a table, get the lighting just right, open up my laptop and I can teach someone from anywhere, no matter what I'm doing or where I've traveled to, I don't have to worry about going back to a home studio to have the same setup. Yeah. And like you said, it it has opened so many doors, not just for people learning, but for, you know, the teachers as well, because like you said, you have students that you wouldn't normally have. It kind of expands your reach. And even though it's a learning curve, like you said, if you get better and better at it every day, eventually it will be a perfect nine out of 10. <laughs> That's the goal. And I, I mean, you know who the best teachers for this are, are my students, because they've had to do online learning from day one, like the, when, when schools shut down and within a week, you know, they were like, all right, well, we got to learn how Zoom works. So I'll be in a room teaching kids how to work Zoom. And I'll be like, what? There's an update. And now the button that I used to click is gone. And they go, oh, yeah, you got to go to the three little dots. There's a drop down menu. And I go, man, these kids are on it. And th- they are of the generation where, you know, these kids were born with a tablet in their hand. I am certainly not. So the teaching has not just been fulfilling for me as a teacher, but it has also been fulfilling for me as a student. It's like when you know, the student becomes the teacher, <laughs> that happened pretty much day one out of the gate. These kids were schooling me on technology and, you know, who their favorite YouTube stars are. And, you know, about, I'm learning about video games for the first time in, you know, 25, 30 years because these kids are asking me questions about video games and I have no idea what they're talking about. And then they send me a link and they're like, Oh, go check it out. I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. You know, I'm, I grew up on super Mario one on a Nintendo. Like that's, that was what video games I played. And now they're playing all these games on their phones, on their switch. And it's, it's fascinating to me, but it's also educational. I'm, I'm learning what these kids are into and how the technology is changing their lives. And I ask, I ask different questions in my classes just to, you know, to get the kids to learn about themselves. Like who's somebody that you're grateful for in your family? Where is a vacation that you've gone on that you're grateful that you got to go on? I, I like to bring up being thankful and being grateful for things. And in one of my classes, I ask, what is a piece of technology you're super grateful for? And nine out of 10 times, the kids will say, I'm really grateful for Zoom and my tablet because it allows me to learn how to do magic. I'm like, ah, oh, right in the feels, kid. Thanks. You know, like to hear that because, you know, some kids, a lot of kids say, oh, I like video games. I like my, my Nintendo Switch. But 
so many of the kids say, well, Zoom, because I've made new friends that live all around the country and I get to learn magic. Man, okay. Kind of verifies that I'm, I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, and I, I can 100% agree that over the course of lockdown, two pieces of technology that I am so thankful for are my Nintendo Switch and Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not, I'm not a video game guy, but being able to have Zoom meetings with friends that I don't get to see very often, it has made it really interesting. Like, I, I, being the mustache on the move, I would see my friends and family more than most of my other friends and family because I'm the one that's driving through your town at some point during the year. But now all of a sudden I'm hanging out with my goddaughter in Colorado Springs, along with my little brother in Vegas, along with, you know, my friend Frank who lives up in Poughkeepsie, uh, Danielle who lives in Brooklyn. And we're all having a Zoom meeting. Like every couple of weeks we play, you know, Jackbox, you know, this online game, but it's a lot of fun. And that would not have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic. You know, Brian in Utah, when COVID first hit, he made a list. He's like, I want to come up with 19 great things that came out of this pandemic. And as a result, I started teaching the magic program that he put together six years ago that I was on the ground floor with. And he said one of his 19 things that he's grateful for for the pandemic is it has brought us closer together. It has put me in front of kids teaching a program that we both believe in, but because I was always on the move and it wasn't available digitally, I couldn't really teach the classes. So it kind of inspired me to make a list of 19 things that I'm grateful for that came out as a result of the pandemic. One is I'm getting more comfortable with technology, which is a thing that I have to do. I have to not be a dinosaur. I have to accept the fact that the internet is not a fad. It's not going to go away. And I have to become more fluent in online learning and online teaching and online engagement. The other thing I'm grateful for is I get to see a lot of people at the same time that I didn't get to see before, which is really that's a lot of fun because usually, you know, the joke is, oh, you see everybody at weddings and funerals. Well, now I see people a lot more often that I wouldn't see in a group. And granted, it's online, but it has brought some of my friendships that were only once a year to eh, maybe every two months, you know, like we speak a little bit more often. So there's, there's that positive. Yeah. And one thing that I'm actually really, really grateful for, for this pandemic is that it kind of forced those of us who were working ourselves to death to stop and rethink and reevaluate and, yep. you know, figure out what's actually important and what can wait. And, you know, even just to take time for ourselves when we need it. You know me, Mustache on the Move came about because I don't stop moving. Can't stop moving. I'm like a shark. If I stop moving, I'll sink. And, you know, for two weeks, I went into a pretty substantial depression because I didn't know how to handle it. And every day it got a little easier. And I take a walk every day. And that's something that I didn't do without having a purpose of where to go. I learned how to cook, which is something that I really hadn't done in 15 or 16 years because I was never in a place long enough to use up the food I purchased. So I was always eating at a restaurant or eating out or you know at a friend's house because they cooked. But now I've learned how to cook. I've learned how to like take note of enjoying the moments that I have, which I said earlier, you know, you got to stop and enjoy the things that you do. But I was forgetting to do that with everyday life, my post-it wall of all the things that I have to do. But those live there for a while, whereas it used to be like every day I got to make sure there's no post-its left on the to-do list because they have to, I have to finish. And now I'm prioritizing and I'm going, is this really important? If yes, okay, maybe tomorrow. Or if not, maybe I can just get rid of the post-it. Maybe I can put that post-it up there and look at it for a couple of days. And if it turns out that I'm not super excited about it after a few days, maybe it moves down the, the list. And then maybe it gets filed in the garbage can. And that's okay. 
that is really okay to stop and take a moment to prioritize, you know, personal health and personal wellness. And I think a lot of folks were just, like I said, it was constantly go, 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 go. And now you went, oh, I have to stop. Oh, wow. I, I didn't sink. Huh. Maybe I can stop every once in a while. Yeah. Stop and smell the flowers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, you know, I mean, that to-do list of things that I had to do at home, I finally got some of them done and realized ah, that might not have been that important. And wow, that was really important. And I was ignoring it for so, so long. You get, you know, distracted and, and pulled away from things that are really, really important by things that are really not as important. So it puts things in perspective. Yeah. And even things that, that seem so major that, you know, mm -hmm. when you do them, you kind of wonder, why did I let this stress me out so much? Yeah, that's been a big, big thing for me is, is realizing that I was focusing my attention on stress that I didn't need to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's been a big lesson, you know, still learning. I think we're all guilty of that at one point or another, especially if you're self-employed, you just, you panic. But just for anyone who wants to kind of keep up to date with you and you're, I know you're in the US doing your magic classes and everything. Where's the best place for that to keep up to date? So the best place to keep up for that is probably my Instagram and my Facebook. I have a website, mustacheonthemove.com. That has links to every, every website for all of the various things that I do, including teaching, which is bensquishtwist.com, my magic lessons, which is trickybiz.com, B-I-Z. And some of the classes actually teach free ones that use stuff from around the house, so you don't need a kit. So feel free to pop in, take a look at my WOW programs. It's a 35-minute online magic workshop with just items from around the house. So trickybiz.com or follow me on Instagram, Epic Balloons. And that's where I post, you know, random stuff that I've been working on, some things from the past, news, or just funny pictures of memes about, you know, things that I find amusing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do TikTok. I'm not really on the Twitter is just a feed from my Facebook. So Facebook and Instagram are the two places to find me. So Epic Balloons and Tricky Biz NY. We'll post those links into the show description anyway, and hopefully you get a lot more Irish followers and maybe we'll get some American ones too. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I would love to see this go international for you. I'm so excited to be on this side. I've been sharing your work because I think your artists are incredibly talented and the whole plot line of doing it for the exposure is something that we all roll our eyes at, but I'm so excited at the reach that you're helping give folks that are local artists in your, you know, your neck of the woods. But now people are learning about them internationally and they can support them however they want. I think it really is the right type of exposure. Yeah. And I mean, that, that was the whole point was that because like I was involved with Nerd to Know Media anyway, and the head of the network actually came to me and said, do you want to do your own show? We have a slot for you. If you want to do it, you can come up with the concept. You can do the whole thing and we will just, we'll share it for you. and We'll host it, everything. So I thought about it for a bit and then I said, well, what about doing one about artists who don't necessarily always get the credit that they deserve? You know, because if we don't fight our own corners, nobody will. And so I had said it to him. I said, can we do one to promote artists? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Just let me know what you want to do. <laughs> and then I came up with the name as a joke because it's something mm -hmm. that we all have to put up with at some point. Oh, you know, people constantly. say it'll be great exposure. And so I said it to him. I said, I'm thinking about calling the show just as a joke. I said, I'm thinking about calling it, doing it for the exposure. And he said, 
don't think about it. You have to do it. That's the name. Yeah. yeah. When I heard the name, I went, oh my God, this is going to strike a chord with artists. And it's a good way to let non-artists know that we get this a lot and treat us with respect. And it's not such a slap in the face. It's a, it's a subtle nudge in the right direction. So I really, as soon as I heard it, I was like, I'm in, sign me up. <laughs> I want to support. How do I support? <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. it was kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek nod to say, you know, like we do a lot of, because we do a, we do grind for exposure. And it was one mm-hmm. of those things where I wanted it to be that, obviously because it's a small show, there's no budget, but I wanted it to be that if we're going to do it for the exposure, I want it to actually benefit. I want it to be something that we can say, okay, yeah, I did that. And it was, hopefully it was good exposure. I right. mean, hopefully the bigger we get, the better exposure it'll be. But I wanted it to be one of those things where it was to benefit the artists that come on the show. And I, I so. think it really does. Like I said, I, I, I happen to know some of the artists that you've had on because, you know, we're friends and I see the way you support them. But there are a handful of artists that I never heard of and I never would have heard of had they not been on the show. And I think that's really great in, in giving everybody a platform to reach out. And like I said, I hope it goes more and more international and I will do my part to help on uh, this side of the, the ocean. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And it's, it's, it's a pleasure finally having more international people and especially yourself because you've been in the industry so long. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> I didn't mean really, it that really old. Oh man, it's been great. And I'm, I'm super honored to be part of the program. I, I've been, I'm a fan. So <laughs> to, to be invited on was super exciting. And I can't wait to have somebody interview you on your own show. I am, I'm going to be one of the people that is fighting that fight to get somebody to interview you. I know you're doing it for other artists, but I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear the interview with you one day. <laughs> you know, more and more people are pushing for that. And I actually have mm-hmm. to, I need to dig out the link because there was, so the very first episode of any podcast I did was mm-hmm. for Nerd to Know Media. It was their show, Nerd to Know Basis. And they actually, they asked me, would I come on an interview? And then from there, it just ended up, I got more and more involved with the network. So I must dig out that link and just in the meantime, just say, okay, if you want to hear about me, here's that. Yeah. Well, I, re- I remember that one and it was great. And I've, uh, you know, again, I'm a fan, so I'm a supporter. So I'm going to fight the good fight to have you on your own show. <laughs> right. don't start any petitions or anything i don't know if yeah. i can handle the pressure <laughs> too much pressure yeah but just because i'm keeping keeping an eye on time is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet go out every day and try to make somebody smile that's something that i do and i, I encourage other people to go out and do it having that attitude of gratitude is great having an attitude of trying to in whatever small quirky seemingly insignificant way you think you can try to make somebody smile and I think the world will be a better place that has been my mission is to make people smile learn a bad joke and when I say bad joke I don't mean a dirty joke I mean like learn a dad joke and just have that in your pocket put googly eyes on salt shakers in a diner to make somebody smile write a, a note on a post-it and leave it anywhere random for someone and it doesn't have to be somebody super close or super significant in your life just leave a post that says hey you're awesome Every day, try to do something to make someone smile or laugh, and you will make the world a better place for certain. Yes, absolutely. And on that wholesome note, it has been an absolute pleasure to finally have you on the show. It has been awesome to be here. I'm so excited. I can't wait. 
<laughs> I can't wait to hear myself back. <laughs> I can't. Well, I can't wait to because this is a this is just another tool for me to make people smile because they're going to hear your podcast. They're going to enjoy it if they listen to it. And you've given me yet another way to make people smile. So thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. And, and I actually, I think this has been a really good episode. I give it a solid nine out of 10. <laughs> I'll take it. I will have <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> thank you for having me. And if you enjoyed this episode of Doing It For The Exposure and would like to hear more in the future, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-I-F-T-E Podcast. You can also check out our stream on nerdtoknowmedia.com. We stream weekly on Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to a Nerd To Know Media production. 